Hello, what are you doing up there? I thought I'd, I'd try salsa dancing on this uh, high wire. That, that sounds very dangerous. That's what we're doing today, right? Risk. Yeah, but not that kind of risk. You don't want to break your neck. Not that kind of risk. We're doing credit risk. Ah. Come on, we are going to be talking about salsa dancing, though. But credit never, for this? Come on, come on down from there. Come on down. Don't hurt yourself. Oh. Right. Wow, okay. that looks like you're not seriously injured. Right? I'm all right. Then. Yeah. Okay, good. So credit risk. Okay? Yes. There's no need for us to do anything dangerous here. This is a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. It's not, uh, you know, a circus show. Yes, and I'm Oller. I'm Matt. Yes, and you can subscribe to our podcast and get episodes like this uh, every week on your phone automatically. From iTunes, Spotify, all the other places you get your podcast from. Uh, you can be in touch with us at EIB Matt, E-I-B-M-A-T-T on Twitter. Or at Alar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. And now, before Alar gets back up on the high wire and does something crazy, let's have an episode on credit risk. This week on a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank, credit risk. And we're joined by uh, a credit risk management officer at the EIB, Gabriela Manchu. So we've got the right person because you're a credit risk management officer. But before you were doing that, uh, usually people who come on the podcast tell us that there could have been a, a whole different career for them doing something else, except that, you know, working at the EIB was so exciting and finance is just so amazing. What was yours? Well, uh, my passion uh, from childhood um, and uh, let's say the most important hobby was um, competitive ballroom dancing. Oh, wow. So uh, what, what does that mean? How, what did, how does it work? Like the, the stuff that you do in the Dancing with the Stars? Yes, indeed, indeed. I actually have an ex-colleague from the same generation that now is leading uh, Dancing with the Stars in Romania. So that could have been your alternative career. Definitely. You could have been doing that. Yes. You could have yes. been the person that now everyone is going to look up on YouTube, like Dancing with the Stars in Romania, and then they'll see him there doing his thing. Or um, world champion for salsa, who knows? Oh. Another friend of mine uh, from the same uh, dancing club. She's now living in Puerto Rico, and she's four-time world champion do of they, salsa. Do they make money just dancing? They Definitely. Do, uh, really? Definitely. She built her dancing school and ah. the same for the colleague in, uh, in Bucharest. Okay. Uh -huh. You have this to start, uh, you can't get straight into it though. You have to start off uh, despacito and then... Step by step, indeed. Step by step. They also studied uh, more technical uh, stuff like economics and mathematics and so on, but then they followed their, their passion. I unfortunately didn't do that because uh, my parents were a bit afraid that I will lose myself into dancing and not go into the business or 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 secure myself a career in the future. But now nevertheless, you can, now you can help now you can help them calculate the credit risk profile of their <laughs> dancing school, right? Definitely, yes. definitely. But it's also the kind of thing that probably sets you up, uh, you know, builds some character, right? It did, it did. I think the main characteristics, uh, having started um, at such a young age and and doing it for, for many years, um, it built my personality as being very dynamic, very proactive, very motivated and passionate uh, about everything I do, actually. So it kind of translated beautifully into my day-to-day um, -day life and everything that I do. 
Uh-huh. Well, my daughter is taking flamenco lessons now, so maybe Excellent. she'll grow up to be a credit risk management <laughs> officer. Let's talk about credit risk and management, actually. We'll talk about credit risk first, and then we'll talk about how it's managed, actually, yes. because a lot of people might not realize you can manage credit risk. But first, what is credit risk? Well, credit risk refers to the risk that a borrower may not repay a loan and that the lender may lose the principal uh, of the loan or the interest associated with it. The principal is the money that you have lent. Indeed. So the credit risk is mostly experienced by banks, but by any other entity that is lending money and awaiting, let's say, for that principal to come back, so the core of the loan but also the interest associated with a loan because everybody's lending or investing with the purpose of making uh, a gain. So how do and banks calculate that credit risk? They, they look at the company and they, what do they, what do they look, look at? So we look at the micro level, um, at the characteristics of the entity to which we lend. So we can lend to private sector entities, uh, banks and corporates, um, and to the public sector entities as well. Uh, as a European institution, mm -hmm. um, we lend also to municipalities, to, 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 to countries as well. Of course, there we have zero risk. Uh, we consider zero risk weighted. Um, uh, but also to entities, uh, companies of the municipality. So this is the public sector risk. Um, and so we look at the micro level uh, through their financial uh, statements, um, um, the results they have. So more, mostly we look at the um, uh, profit and loss um, account, at their balance sheet, at the cash flow statement. And then we look at the macro level, uh, which entails the, um, uh, let's say, the environment in which that uh, entity is performing their activity, its activity uh, at the regulation, um, the market. So if it's in a developing country or in a developed country or in an emerging uh, country and so on. Mm -hmm. um, looking at the micro level, uh, most of the banks have uh, an internal rating methodology, so we are building scorecards, credit mm -hmm. scorecards for each entity. And based on that, we associate, let's say, a rating to that entity. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, of course, a so better... what's a good rating? What do we call them? Is it uh, a one, one to five? A or? one for us. Okay, okay. A one for us. And it goes which is to, an, what's, the, what's the worst rating you can have? To nine, nine. internally. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, ex externally, it's associated with the ratings of the credit um, of the rating agencies, the the famous uh, three rating agencies: Standard, Standard and Poor's, Moody's, and um, and Fitch. Um, mm -hmm. And they have rating from uh, AAA to to, mm -hmm. to D default mm -hmm. being the the worst. AAA so, so, being so the if best. So if a company is large enough to have one of those external rating agencies rate them then we don't bother doing our internal rating. We, we do, do, we do, okay. yes. We have uh, we have an internal um, uh, scorecard. So it's really based on some sort of an algorithm where we say that the number of years that this company has been in business contributes, you know, X percent into the rating and, and how much revenue versus... Uh, Debt, uh, debt is a very have, important, uh, is, yes. Contributes another percentage of the rating and then all, all of it together, it just ends up being a number one, from one to nine. 
Indeed. So we have different um, um, sectors, let's say that uh, different um, indicators that we look at. So Mm -hmm. we start with the macro level, with the regulation, with the environment, with the um, country risk, let's say. Um, You mentioned country risk. Is that the same as sovereign risk? Yes. Some entities, for example, the public sector entities depend more. So the municipalities and so on depend more on the sovereign. So if the sovereign goes down or mm, okay. <laughs> is in a risk of default, then for sure the the um, public sector entities are affected, whereas the corporates or and the banks um, can have a more stable activity if they operate outside of the country as well. A couple mm. of weeks ago on this podcast, we had an, an excellent podcast quote on KYC, know your counterparty in the case of the bank, yes. but also know your client, know your customer. customer. That's what it's also called. And uh, the expert from the bank who came on said, well, you, meaning you, Alar, and me, Matt, have been the subject of a KYC at your own bank, you know, when you open an account, uh, because they ask various bits of information to see if I'm a money launderer or if he's a terrorist, which could be possible, you never know, Um, just uh, by the way, you know, he looks. Now, (laughs) has the, am I also a credit risk? as well. If I have a bank account or if I have a loan from my bank, do I have a credit score Definitely. card and all those kinds of Definitely. things too? Definitely, yes. And banks look especially at the history of your payments. Very important is to have a credit card and how you cover that credit card, actually. I think a more um, um, used, um, it's in the States, to have a cred- uh, credit on the credit card for longer than one month. Here, mm. I think it's normal to, to, to pay that credit every, mm-hmm. every next month. Um, and that is important, actually, in taking a credit from uh, from the bank. Do the clients find out what their credit risk is? Like if a, if a company uh, wants to know what EIB uh, thinks, uh, is it a one or a nine, do they, do they know? Normally, we don't communicate that okay. directly. We communicate the risk pricing, let's say, mm-hmm. the, or the risk margin. Um, and this is actually kind of a result um, of, of uh, their uh, internal rating um, um, to which we associate the uh, probability of default. Uh, um, comparing to um, an external rating from the three rating agencies where the, the client actually pays for getting the rating because mm-hmm. they are interested in issuing bonds or yes. doing some operations mm-hmm. in transactions in uh, in the market. But do do banks share the information? Like if if you if uh, mm-hmm. if one bank has done a, a a credit risk appraisal of Matt and just seen that he keeps on missing his credit card payment uh, deadlines, do the other banks? Which I'm sure he doesn't. Uh, but uh, but uh, do the other banks find out about Only it? Only because I forget. Sure. But anyway, no, sure. Two plus. Do they usually? <laughs> do the banks usually share this information, or is it every bank kind of keeps their information to themselves? I think the sharing point among the banks can be the external rating, mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, for example. Um, uh, Moody's has uh, the the probability of default methodology that um, um, it's uh, open to the market, let's say, uh, to okay. use. 
uh, I believe against a cost, nevertheless. Um, and through that, um, um, they 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 look at the probability of the of default of counterparts throughout history. I think they started in 1920 to mm. uh, to present. Uh, mm. Okay. One of our first podcasts in this series, and I encourage all our uh, listeners to uh, to go back and check it out, was on risk. And uh, one of the two guests there was the uh, was your boss, in fact, the great uh, Giancarlo Sardelli. And he was talking there mostly, though, about risk in terms of the the market. You know, you're out there and you have you have a certain number of loans as a bank, and you have money coming in, money coming out, and you have to manage your liquidity, manage all these other kinds of risks. But what I wanted to ask you about is, before you even make the loan, when you're making the loan, what are the parts of the contract, the loan contract, that you in, in risk management would insist on being in the contract? Mm. What would be the key elements there? Indeed. So looking at the counterpart and analyzing its credit standing, um, we have uh, several um, ways to 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 mitigate this risk, um, and uh, one of the ways is the credit, uh, the pricing that we apply based on the um, counterpart. Um, so we translate it into expected loss, let's say, which is uh, the probability of default um, times the um, loss given default and times the ex uh, exposure at default. Um, and on the other side, we have uh, a series of uh, key clauses and covenants that we put in the loan documentation in order to reinforce a bit the protection. And um, for example, the key clauses that we use are um, cross default, uh, negative pledge pari passu, material adverse change. On the covenant side, uh, we use also financial ratios and... Uh, We're going to go through every single one of those because <laughs> this is a dictionary of finance and these are a few entries for the dictionary. But can we just go back to the... You said how you calculated it. It was something yes. times something times something. What, the expected loss. So it's what you expect, let's say, to lose based mm -hmm. on the probability of default that the counterpart has multiplied by the exposure at default. So at the moment of default, what is the exposure that you have with that entity and multiplied by the um, uh, loss given default, um, loss given which default. is, yes, which is, let's say, the haircut uh, that you are expected to lose so that you are expected to take in case the, the, the entity goes into default. So um, when an entity goes into bankruptcy, um, you expect to recover something because they have assets to sell, they still have maybe some money on account. And depending on the level that you are with the other lenders, in so the, if you are in the, Passu, let's in say the insolvency waterfall, right? Yes. If there's the insolvency waterfall. If you remember the episode we did with uh, our oh. legal colleagues, uh -huh. and then yes. the, the, the that was quite beautiful. That time, it was it? it was beautiful. Indeed. Right? But so indeed. So if you have a secured loan, then you would go and grab directly that security that you have, or it's shared still among the secured lenders. And when you have unsecured loan, that you, then you will take what it's left. And um, instead of recovering 100% of your loan, you will recover maybe 20% of the loan. So that's, so that's taking a 80% haircut. 
right? Yes. That's a that's a big haircut. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 You should go down to your friends at Style <laughs> and Feelings in uh, in the center of town there and ask as for an eighty percent haircut. Yes. yes. Wow. Indeed. So the twenty percent would be the recovery rate, mm-hmm. and the um, um, the loss given default is one minus recovery rate. So indeed, hmm. would be eighty uh-huh. percent. Okay. Okay. So let's get to some of those key clauses. You mentioned cross-default. What's cross-default? Yes. Cross-default means that uh, the lender has the right to ask for repayment of the loan from the borrower if the later defaults on any other payment or any other obligation arising out of any other financial transaction. Mm. Really? So that, yes. uh, that could be that like, I make you a loan. Yes. And there's a cross-default clause in there. And you're, you've then also borrowed some money from Allah. Indeed. You failed to pay that back. I you've got the money to pay. to pay me back, but I immediately say, no, that's a cross default and that's the end of our contract. So if I have a loan from each of you and I fail to make a payment on the principal or and on the interest on one side, mm-hmm. then it's possible. It's true that... Uh, the the repayment the the um, the due that let's say for the repayment um, maybe is not in the same time mm-hmm. so you seeing this observing this you can ask me for immediate repayment without waiting that the um, payment towards you is due how does he know so you can ask it before how does he know that you failed to pay me are we are we asking uh, borrowers to report their uh, payment? Uh? Actually, we know through um, other covenants and uh, through the clauses in the contract, through the loan documentation. Mm-hmm. So we uh, protect ourselves uh, through this. They have to inform us if there is a material adverse change, for example, or uh-huh. um, if we um, look at some financial covenants, they have to report on the financial covenants and uh, Mm-hmm. Although this is once per year or depending on the on the reporting that we ask to mm-hmm. to to receive mm-hmm. can be quarterly. Um, um, but if but if some company says that's not fair, I mean, if I'm if I fail to pay Allah, I'm still going to pay you. What's the big why do you care? You'd say, yes, but if you don't want this cross default, you have to pay more for the loan or we won't do it at all. So when in the moment that that happens and the bank becomes aware, um, actually it's also also the responsibility of the borrower to inform um, or you will also find out in the market. Because there'll be clearly there will have been a material adverse change. change. So let's get to that. That's another clause. I guess there are adverse changes, meaning negative changes. Indeed. Which might not be material. So what's a material adverse change? change something that impacts the operations um, the the good functioning of an entity Um, so for example um, you're expecting that an entity delivers um, a high profit in the next quarter uh, or semester and eventually it reveals that uh, it suffered a big loss or what happens with the banks uh, when uh, they have to reclassify um, loans into non-performing loans and um, um, uh, their share, let's say, of non-performing loans is much higher, which goes directly into uh, reducing capital. Mm-hmm. And then a, a bank um, is facing the situation that it has to raise quickly capital in order to comply with regulation. 
And as it's a dictionary of finance, we should say, before our listeners have to go and reach for the dictionary, material in this sense means relevant. Relevant. It doesn't mean like this table is made of wood. That's the material it's made of. It means relevant. Irrelevant, yes. Uh-huh. Important change um, in the good functioning of the, um, of the entity. Let's move on to the next one. Negative pledge. I love this. It sounds great. Yes. What is a negative pledge? There's also positive pledge, but we'll come to that later, uh, maybe. Hmm. Negative pledge is the right of the lender to impede the borrower to give any kind of security in the future to other lenders without asking, let's say, for prior consent. Now, a way, um, let's say, if the borrower knows at the moment that uh, it's signing the contract with the bank, Uh, that it has other loans in the pipeline, uh, then it can inform the bank and uh, the bank can offer some carve-outs, some exceptions in the contract, knowing that this will happen. But Mm -hmm. afterwards, uh, any other... um, And and if on those loans the borrower wants to pledge um, um, security. But if... uh, Collateral or something Collateral, Uh indeed. Indeed. So they are, this clause, it's actually generally intended to ensure uh, that the bank does not suffer from the subsequent action of the borrower. And without such clause, uh, the borrower might have the option to, to pledge the same collateral to multiple lenders. And of uh-huh. course, in the event of default, these mm-hmm. lenders would scramble then mm-hmm. to recover some of the collateral. So this, this is a clause that says you can't give anyone else a better deal than us on collateral. In other words, this is... You can't pledge security because another deal then goes also to Paripasu level. Let's go to Paripasu level. (laughs) What does that mean? That means actually the word comes from Latin and it's on equal footing. So you're walking, let's say, in the same rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, Means that... um, lenders from a certain category, so secured lenders or unsecured lenders, have the same level of uh, protection, same level of security from the borrower. Mm-hmm. So, if I've, so if I've taken out a loan and I've pledged uh, my apartment for it, and then the bank probably wants to make sure that I don't take another loan out pledging that same the apartment, same apartment. So in case I do default, uh, the two banks would have to share the apartment and it wouldn't really cover the loss, right? Indeed. But mm-hmm. if the apartment has double the value of the loan, let's say, that the first bank mm-hmm. uh, gave you, then uh, you can reach an agreement that mm-hmm. for the other part um, uh, of, the, of, the, of the value of the apartment, you can pledge it to the other bank. Okay. So they would be pari passu in terms of so uh, security. Yes. Okay. But, uh, but only if there's space in that collateral to mm-hmm. um, to be given to. But how about if? Uh, Sounds yeah, like I'm you're gonna, negotiating. I'm gonna, yes, I'm going to give a very uh, like a complicated example here now, but I'm going to try and boil it down so I can understand. Okay, so you can't give the same thing, but let's say I Matt Bank. Uh, has given you a loan and you have given me uh, as collateral an apartment, let's say a two bedroom apartment. And then Alar Bank gives you a loan and you, and you give him uh, as collateral uh, a five bedroom house. Is that okay? Because his is worth a lot more, 
But if we have negative pledge, doesn't that mean that you can't give him something like better as collateral than you've given me? Well, when we look at entities, we look from a different perspective. An entity has one balance sheet. It doesn't have two um, apartments or it doesn't have one apartment and a house. Of course, as an individual person, you can pledge um, the two things also depending on your of your assets and your assets are money in the account, uh, your salary and so on. So if you have um, enough assets, let's say, to pledge for all the, for both loans, then it's fine. But uh, when we give a loan or when a bank gives a loan, um, we look at the balance sheet and that's one. Um, so if you pledge already those assets to um, one entity, to one lender, you cannot pledge the same assets to another lender. Uh-huh. You see okay. what I mean? I Unless it, yeah. there are some existing loans, uh, for example, it, it happens very often that our en- our counterparts um, have existing loans with several banks. So they, they have, uh, let's say, uh, we call it uh, with the club deal, Mm. Uh, oh, a arrangement. Uh-huh. A club deal is when an entity receives loans from more banks and they are in agreement with each other, let's say. So the signature happens in the same time. So they, for example, you have a project of 800 million and each bank gives you 100 million. So that's, let's say, a club deal agreement. Uh-huh. And um, uh, so entities that have this um, agreement already in place and the EIB comes and wants to uh, give an additional loan, then we either enter on pari passu level with the club deal participants mm-hmm. um, and they have to redo the contract and allow for the EIB, let's say, to enter um, um, in terms of having the same security because probably the counterpart has pledged some security, some um, assets, collateral whatever it is to those uh, lenders uh, to protect their their investment um, and EIB would enter pari passu. If it doesn't enter, then of course we will probably have a higher risk pricing and then we are unsubordinated. We are, mm-hmm. we are subordinated, sorry. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you've described uh, several situations where um, something might go wrong with the loan, basically a material adverse uh, event might happen. Does it usually mean that uh, we just call the, the loan back or are there other ways that we respond to such a thing happening? This is actually what I wanted to, to answer to a previous question, that all these uh, clauses and, and protection uh, in the contract uh, helps us um, or gives us the the, um, the the privilege, let's say, to uh, act immediately uh, on the situation that mm-hmm. it's happening. Um, of course, um, um, we look at the situation and we enter into negotiation with the counterpart, with other banks, if uh, there is the case. Um, but we want to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't want to be unprotected. Yeah, so the outcome might not be that we ask for the money back immediately. We, we might change the risk pricing of the loan and we might re- ask for more collateral or renegotiate the loan, essentially. Mm-hmm. So what matters is to have these clauses in the contract, to have this uh, possibility of calling the default. 
Of course, it's not in our interest uh, to um, lead the entity to bankruptcy or, or, or to insolvency. Our interest is to um, have a seat at the table and negotiate possible solutions, um, uh, an additional risk pricing, um, uh, a, a longer grace period, um, mm -hmm. um, you name it. So uh, there are, of course, various options, but we want to be in the negotiation. Is that called restructuring? Yes, yes. Aha, uh -huh. which uh, we will have another episode of A Dictionary of Finance on coming soon. Yeah, mm -hmm. but thank you, Gabriela, for explaining these things to us. And if you want to get then whenever that next episode on restructuring comes, please do subscribe to our podcast. Also rate us and review us. Uh, you can do it on iTunes and Spotify and on various platforms where you find your uh, podcasts. And uh, tune in again uh, next week uh, for another episode from the European Investment Bank. And in the meantime, you just look at the Romanian version of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yes, please do. Sounds like fun. <laughs>